Hey, this is Zach Catanzaro. And I'm Walker Lukens. We're the hosts of Song Confessional, the only podcast where today's top songwriters turn your anonymous stories into original songs. This week, we've got a salacious tale of train platforms and anonymous hookups. Austin songstress Buffalo Hunt transforms the confession into a cinematic indie pop gem, exploring the dark pleasures of our bad decisions. Listen to Song Confessional at KUTX.org or wherever you listen to podcasts. From KUT and KUTX Studios. Hey there, you're listening to This Song, the podcast where artists talk about the songs that formed and transformed them. I'm your host, Elizabeth McQueen, and for a decade of my life, I was a touring musician with the band Asleep at the Wheel, and my favorite moments were always before or after the gig, when people would sit around and play the music they were into and tell you why they loved it. I got off the road a couple of years ago, but I still long to talk to musicians about music, and so... I created this podcast because, in my opinion, musicians are the most beautiful when they're talking about the music that changed them. This week on this song, you'll hear a rerun of an interview I did with Liz Fair, and I am rerunning this particular interview because it's one of my favorites. And right now, while I'm sheltering in place and everything is so uncertain, like I need to take joy wherever I can find it. And Liz Fair, she gives me a lot of joy. She was one of my childhood heroes. Like, her record, Exile in Guyville, changed my life when I was 14. It got me through my teens. And it showed me that women could be dark and complex and funny and profane and, oh, by the way, professional musicians. I got to talk to Liz Fair in 2018, right after the 25th anniversary of Exile in Guyville. She had just re-released that record along with a bunch of early four-track demos that she made. The compilation was called Girly Sound to Guyville. And Liz Fair told me about a song that blew her mind, but that she had heard just a relatively short time before we talked. Well, a song that has recently changed my life or focused it little bit more is um, the song called I Want to Destroy You by the Soft Boys. I heard it very recently. In fact, um, I just heard it for the first time on our tour bus. Uh, My guitar tech, Chris Cote, was playing it. The, the the band members and the crew kind of have a front lounge hangout after a show when we first hit the road, like when the bus starts moving, and I usually go hole up in the back of the bus. Um, but they have, like, you know, they DJ and they drink a little bit and laugh and joke around. And I was up for one of those sort of boy hangs, and they were playing I Want to Destroy You. And I remember that I remember that album. And I hadn't heard it in so long. And it just, it like went right through me, through my soul. And kind of like, it, it focused all the diffuse anxiety I have about the, pol- the political um, landscape at the moment. <laughs> and it felt like, it felt like punk was alive again for me. Just like 
industry this sense of like speaking up and being heard and being counted and all of a sudden it's just gone back down almost in a regressive way to when I was young and pissed off and maybe like 19 or 20 and it just it just felt so liberating to go to take off my adult hat and stop trying to parse the stories and you know sort of imagine the path forward and just go back to eating it. It's abidingly stressful. It just keeps being stressful, but I think there is sort of a macabre humor in it after a certain point of sort of enduring something unpleasant and frightening for a long time. You do get the gallows humor and there there is just this joy of returning to just non-compliance. Simple holistic non-compliance. That's what I feel in this voice song. When I hear I want to destroy you, it's just I mean, there's no particular specific object of this hatred. It's just kind of a blanket statement. <laughs> I just want to destroy you. It's that I do love that feeling of being young, and you're you're too you're too young to know that it's very hard to build things. So all you want to do is tear stuff down. said that it made you feel like like you were 19 or 20 again and that's kind of when you started writing or started recording those girly sounds recordings right around that time that's true that's exactly right I would sort of come home from a party or if I didn't have any plans that night I would goof around on my four track um yeah that's exactly when I was just starting to formalize my interest in music up until then, it had felt sort of like something I had done because I was required to learn piano, and then I took guitar. I think my parents just thought I should have a well-rounded education, and you know, it was it wasn't until college really that I began to take it, take my song craft more seriously because I went to Oberlin College, which has an exceptional music conservatory affiliated with the it's a liberal arts program as well as a music conservatory and but you were doing visual art that was your focus for a long time and then you 
just started doing music as like an extension of visual art. Is that is that right? I think it was just everywhere. You know, everyone I knew who was in a liberal arts program was also in a band or played music, and I was being expo- exposed to music with the you know the that great sort of anachronistic item, the mixtape from the boyfriend. <laughs> You know, yeah. <laughs> or you'd have like one great song from each obscure band, and that's how I I learned a lot about indie rock. Actually, that way. Did you feel like music enabled you to say things or or get things across that like other mediums like visual art didn't? Absolutely, music for me is very immediate and emotional and physical. And some of my visual art had a physical component when I was creating it. I did a lot of gestural strokes sort of on a large scale with charcoal, which is very messy. And I really am sorry to the janitors that had to clean that up. But (laughs) music was much more about almost like a second language, a second self that I had inside of me that wanted to come out, I guess. But it was still very playful and fictional, I would say. never heard the girly sounds records i mean i'm a i'm 41 i'm a child of the 90s and so exile and guyville was you know it was a thing for me um but listening to those those tapes of those recordings that from what i understand you really didn't think anyone else would ever hear um it just sounded like well first i was struck by how much made it onto your later records but also about how much it sounded like a lot of fun and it sounded very sounds very freeing like some of them it just sounds like you're just going and expressing and 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 getting something out like you said this other part of you yeah it was like it was like a um a musical diary it was just experimental and goofy and completely unselfconscious some of it shows a lot of promise some of it shows care and consideration for what I was doing but a lot of it is just off the cuff and experimenting with harmonies I think that's the most interesting to me at this point I mean I've lived with these recordings for a long time but right now at the moment I'm interested in how sort of I wouldn't say advanced but how far along I was with my idea of harmony and playing one vocal against another I'm thinking of actually the song Slave right now which is sort of like a rondelay of different um, choral parts going on. Cause I'm chasing you on a field, makes you want to cry, makes you want to tear the stars from the sky. And sometimes halfway there, but you're halfway down, just can't get your ass 
that's what's happening to me. And I feel like it wasn't just the harmony. I was I was listening to Exiling Guyville and listening to these early recordings, and it I was struck like I didn't know enough about music at the time to understand it, but the chords you're playing on the guitar, like they're super weird, <laughs> like super. <laughs> they're super interesting. <laughs> yeah, but but there's also like a there's that guitar is its own voice in that music. You know what I mean? And ha- it provides its own harmonies. A thousand percent. Yeah. A thousand percent. L- relearning them for the tour this June was really a very daunting, but ultimately rewarding experience just to try to go back in. I mean, I was pitching those as well. Once they were recorded on the machine before I committed them to tape, I would change the pitch. So it was very hard to, um, what do you call it when you go backwards to try to figure out what was some, you know, something that you were doing like reverse engineer it, reverse engineering. Thank you. That's exactly what I was looking for. Um, I remember sitting on my bed crying, thinking I only have a month. There's no way I'm going to figure out all of these songs again. And when I finally did, a lot of what I was doing was very naive and was really just where can my pinky finger reach next? You know, like it was, I wasn't that great of a guitar player at that point. I wasn't really as sophisticated as, you know, people might give me credit for. I just was looking at my hand, my five, you know, my four digits really that were in play and just trying to make different shapes with them. I would look at the the neck and I would think, well, I've been down here, you know, at the, at the far end of the neck maybe I should go up there closer to the body you know like I would that's that's the kind of thought I would have like it's almost looking at the work of a different person and a younger person so I feel a kind of a compassion for the person who's writing this and is now exposed to the world as if you know like I think about that I'm almost betraying her because she never meant for these recordings to be heard and now I'm selling them you know what I mean (laughs) like so it's an interesting but but I think they're really worthwhile. I think like what I was doing, I do think the chord structures are interesting and unique and I am I am interested to hear the kind of melodic um segues I will take. It's fascinating. I can hear the influence of pavement, I can hear the influence of someone gave me a Coltrane record. I can hear the influence of like Blondie and the Go-Go's. I can hear a lot of influences, but but 
to a large extent, I really do hear my voice emerging, and that's sort of thrilling to see. It was certainly unconscious at the time. For me, when you're describing the feeling that you feel when you listen to that, to I Want to Destroy You, it's the feeling that I got as a teenager listening to Exile in Guyville, which was like I had never heard a woman say what you said in a song in a way that like, like I just remember driving around in my Chevy Nova with my Exile in Guyville tape and being like, <laughs> this is what power feels like. I think power might be just like saying what you feel, <laughs> like being honest. I woke up alone. I didn't know where I was at first, just that I woke up in your arms. And almost immediately I felt sorry because I didn't think this would thing we've said in this entire interview like power might be as simple as saying what you feel I can feel it in my bones I'm gonna spend another year coming up after the break Liz Fair talks more about exile in Guyville and gives me some mom advice when we spoke Liz Fair had been touring promoting girly sound to Guyville and playing the song she wrote in the 90s in 2018, and I wondered what that was like to play those songs in so different a time. Well, one of the things that has been really meaningful to a lot of people is the sense that's going on right now of the female voice um, fighting for prominence and female rights needing to have their day in the sun again. And you know, Guyville suddenly becomes extremely pertinent because of what we're going through. And to hear that, some people found strength in it all the way along the line, that when they would face their daily indignities, they could turn to my music and bolster their self-esteem again and bolster their courage. And that's really what I made the music for, was to kind of, I mean, there's a lot of bravado in that early work, in that girly sound material, and I hear it in the Guyville as well. I wasn't living all of those things exactly as written. There was a certain sense of puffing myself up and sort of standing up to the boys and being casual about things that actually were painful or made me feel vulnerable. 
And I'm proud of how much vulnerability I was able to allow to be seen. And I think that can be inspiring to people in the past as well as currently. And I think that there is sort of a rush right now to look to the touchstones that we've always known would see us through and to have my music be part of that for people is profound. I mean, that's profound. That's like getting your eulogy while you're still alive. It's pretty incredible. And I soak it up and I appreciate it fully. Now, normally I would stop here, but this is my podcast, and it's the last one of the season. And, you know, I'm a mom and a musician, and Liz Fair is a mom and a musician, and and I had to ask her about her own experience of motherhood and playing music. As a mom, I've read in a couple interviews that that you've talked about this idea of, like, being a mom kind of made you want to step away from the edge a little bit, and now that you have, that your child has, like flown the nest um which I can't even imagine I have a seven-year-old and a nine-year-old and I can't even like I can't the thought just like makes me want to cry you know it's brutally painful but you you find that there is a natural process for it like this has been done by thousands of mothers and you will survive it but it sounds like that there was like a it shifted your creative life and maybe now your creative life is shifting back. And I wondered if that's the case. It's it's super simple. As soon as your child starts rebelling in their teenage years, all that cute, fluffy, like, Oh, I just can't imagine them leaving the nest. She'll be like, leave the nest. (laughs) Go ahead. You know, like be my guest. That kind of gets you back in touch, like, rather abruptly with your own rebellious sense. You know, you start storming around the house saying things like, what, you know, I, I how am I the authority? I never liked authority. <laughs> Why am I now the authority? Oh, great. You know, like, I'm the parent. And there, it's, it is kind of quickly liberating. You know, <laughs> you, know you realize the human animal, whatever age we are, is, is we have a lot in common at all of our ages. And nobody has it dialed in and your parents suddenly look so much more relatable and you have so much more compassion for them. You think like, yeah, who knows? I don't know. I did the best I could. Good luck. <laughs> you know, like, you know, like you throw up your hands. So there is, there is that return to freedom and to selfhood minus this role. But You know, as we all know, it shifts, and then suddenly they need you and your parent again. And this is Never Said, from Liz Fair's first record, Exile in Guyville. And yeah, it made me really happy to make this episode. It still makes me really happy that I got mom advice from Liz Fair. And I need happy right now, you know? We all do. 
Liz Fair has a new album on the way. It's called Soberish. She was going to go on tour, but like all tours, hers got canceled. I'll be looking forward to the new record and to the time when she goes back out on the road. But until things return to whatever normal looks like after all of this, I will listen to her music. And it will give me all kinds of 14-year-old girl feels, and that will help me keep moving forward. I hope you have some music that gives you the same kind of strength right now. And that's it. You have come to the end of another episode of this song. This episode was produced by Art Levy and me, Elizabeth McQueen. Thanks to Sophia Contos for her help. Thanks to Deidre Gott and Peter Babb and Todd Callahan for all they do for this podcast. And yes, it is true. Our theme song is Mahout by Austin's own Hard Proof. Right on. Thanks for listening. Take care of yourself. And I'll talk to you next time. KUT's next AT Explained Live show is April 3rd. Brand new stories about Austin's people, places, and culture told live on stage by your favorite KUT journalists. I've never gotten any specific invites from Steiner Ranch. And that's about the time Charlie chomped down on that chicken. I will hypnotize you into securing my law services. Join us April 3rd at the Paramount Theater for KUT's next AT Explained Live. Tickets are on sale now. Get them at austintheater.org. And we'll see you there.